Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, this is it, the last show of the year, and as 2023 draws to a close, I want to extend my heartfelt thanks to all of you who have joined me for yet another incredible year of What She Said. This year has been a whirlwind with 44 shows, 10 long-form podcasts, 237 interviews, and 169 guests. And now it's time for me to catch my breath. So I'm going to take a couple of weeks to reflect and prepare because I am so excited to return to you in 2024, ready to make it what she said's best year ever. In the meantime, I'm wishing everyone a peaceful and restorative holiday season, no matter how you celebrate. Now let's dive into what's in store on today's show. We start with a topic that touches many lives, dementia. Dr. Saskia Sivananthan, a leading expert in dementia research, joins me to share her insights on this complex condition. We'll discuss the latest findings in dementia research, including lifestyle changes and brain plasticity strategies to mitigate risk. Anne Brody is here with new entertainment recommendations. She'll give us her take on Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Plus, we take a look at Canada's chilling official documentary selection for the Academy Awards, Rojek, and the riveting American fiction featuring the sublime Jeffrey Wright. We're all feeling holiday stress right now, so thankfully Andrea Donsky, who joins me on behalf of New Roots Herbal, is bringing us real solutions to decrease stress levels and help us enjoy the holidays too. Next, Monica Diaz-Greco, a passionate advocate for epilepsy awareness, discusses her role in the passing of Motion 68 in the Ontario Legislature. This motion is crucial for creating safer, more inclusive environments in schools for students living with epilepsy. And finally, to wrap up the final show of the year, I have a special treat from Barbara Lika. Her new single, On Christmas Eve, captures the enchanting spirit of the holiday season. Join us as we explore her festive new song that's sure to become a holiday favorite. So whether you're looking for insights into health, entertainment, stress relief, advocacy, or holiday cheer, today's show has something special for everyone. Let's end 2023 on a high note with what she said right here on 105.9 The Region. first interview, we're exploring a topic of great importance and relevance to many, dementia. I'm joined by Dr. Saskia Sivananthan, a leading expert in dementia research. Her work has been instrumental in understanding this complex condition and identifying strategies for risk reduction. Saskia's insights are crucial in the global conversation about dementia, particularly regarding lifestyle changes and brain plasticity to mitigate risk. As we discuss this intricate subject, Saskia will offer her expert perspective on the latest findings and practical steps for addressing this growing 
health concern. Saskia, I am so thrilled to have you here today. Dementia happens to be, I think, one of my biggest phobias uh, of all the diseases out there. So uh, let's jump in and discuss what it is exactly and how it differs from the normal aging process. Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. And um, I'd say you're not the only one who feels that way about dementia. In fact, many, many surveys that have been conducted have found that dementia ranks number one, if not within the top three diseases that people are most afraid of. And I understand why there's a lot of stigma around it. So maybe we'll step back first and explain what dementia is, because sometimes people use the term dementia and Alzheimer's disease interchangeably. But really, dementia is an umbrella term. So it's kind of like saying cancer, and there can be many, many diseases under that umbrella. So there are over 100 types of diseases that, are, that have dementia. Alzheimer's disease is the most common one. Uh, but there are many others. There's frontal temporal dementia, vascular dementia. More and more, we're hearing about mixed dementias. So the common thread across those is memory loss. And this is different from normal aging. So as we age, of course, we're going to have a little bit of cognitive changes, just as we're going to have physical changes. But dementia is a disease. And with dementia, the sort of cognitive and memory changes that you see is different. It's not a normal part of aging. Now, another thing maybe to quickly touch on is that while memory loss is the symptom most people are aware of, there are other symptoms for dementia, and those can sometimes present before the memory loss. Uh, so things like personality changes, mood changes, and again, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, these present differently with women and men. Uh, so sometimes women can have a broader range of those personality and mood changes that are different from the way men can present clinically when it comes to dementia. Uh, another symptom to watch for is language loss or language changes. Now, we're probably going to have this as we're going through our conversation. I'm going to forget some words or be searching for words. But with dementia, it's unusual the sorts of uh, language changes that will come up. Uh, so things like someone who normally makes coffee or tea every day will say, oh, uh, can you put that thing on that, that boils the water? Because they, they can't remember the term kettle or the word kettle anymore, a very common word. These are the sorts of changes that you'd start seeing as well. And I think because, you know, there is sort of this general paranoia that a lot of us have about developing dementia, we sometimes get extra nervous about, you know, I can't find my keys or, you know, we fumble over a name. So this sounds like it's a little bit more, um, I guess, exaggerated than, than simple things like that on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Absolutely, much more. Uh, so you'll see it in things that are much more common. Uh, so for example, if you drive to work or to visit your family every week or every day, and suddenly you're lost. You can't remember the road. You can't remember which street you're supposed to turn on. Those are unusual changes. We're all going to forget where we parked our car in the parking lot when we go, <laughs> right? Like that happens to me all the time. Thank God for being able to beat for that. But that's normal because you're, it's, it's an unusual situation. You park in a different place all the time. Language loss, again, that we talked about, it's the more common kind of language that you're starting to forget or you, and it's happening more frequently than the average. And you know what? If you're worried, 
go speak to your doctor because there are reversible forms of dementia as well. And so if you don't get it checked out and figure out what it is, and sometimes things can mimic dementia, uh, so this will come up a bit more as well. Women experience depression at higher rates than, than men, and we are at higher risk of developing depression. And that can sometimes mimic the symptoms of dementia. And so if you go in, you get it checked, and, and uh, a good physician will be able to help you figure those pieces out, you could, you could deal with the depression, which you deal with very differently than if it were dementia. And I think, uh, I mean, like with anything, prevention is key, right? So are there lifestyle factors that we really need to be taking into consideration here? Absolutely. Uh, and this is um, such an important question. And one of the articles that I wrote recently was really focused on those lifestyle factors. Because again, we're so worried about dementia, but research has really progressed in terms of risk factors and prevention. So the first thing to emphasize is that the earlier you deal with these risk factors, the better overall. Uh, and a lot of the things are things we already know, exercise, changing your diet, all the things that are good for your heart are good for your brain because it's a muscle and it needs to be exercised and taken care of the same way. But there are risk factors that are specific to dementia uh, that don't relate necessarily to your heart. So for example, social isolation is a new one that has come up quite a bit. Uh, and so loneliness and social isolation, not interacting with people and engaging the same way is, is shown to have a higher risk of dementia. Another one is hearing loss. Uh, so hearing loss is linked to dementia in a way that we hadn't understood as, as clearly as we do now. Uh, and so if you're starting to deal with any hearing loss or feel that you have it, go see your physician because, again, a hearing aid makes a huge difference in being able to reduce your risk. Sleep is another one. So there are many, many more lifestyle factors, and these changes, making them early, can really influence your overall risk of developing dementia. But more importantly, the thing that I raise in the article is that even if you do develop dementia, having really addressed some of those risk factors early could mean that you can manage that dementia and potentially the trajectory of that disease could be lessened if you have dealt with some of those risk factors early. So can you then explain the concept of brain plasticity and its connection to dementia? Absolutely. So there's two concepts. There's brain plasticity and then there's cognitive reserve. And I, I'll talk a bit about both of them. But let's start with brain plasticity. So our brains are these amazing organs that are constantly growing, creating connections, and basically communicating between cells. Our brain cells are called neurons. So brain plasticity is the idea of creating new pathways all the time. And this is why we're always talking about be engaged. So the social engagement is important because that's creating new connections in your brain. So increasing your brain plasticity. But so is engaging your brain. Uh, so picking up new hobbies, you know, learning a new language, getting out of your comfort zone, because it forces your brain to exercise. You're creating new neurons and pathways again. But let's talk about cognitive reserve, because this is what underlies also some of those risk factors. So the idea of cognitive reserve is that as you engage your brain more, you've created more and more neural connections and pathways. And that makes your brain more resilient 
if there's any damage. So if dementia starts damaging your brain, one or a couple of the pathways might be impacted, but because you have other neural pathways connected, they can compensate for the pathways that have been impacted, which means that then the effects of dementia are lessened. So I'll give you an example. You know me as Saskia Sivananthan. You know, we're talking on this podcast. You might know me as a researcher. And if you can see me, I like fancy big earrings. Okay, so you have three pathways to remember me. Now, if dementia were to impact one or two of those pathways, let's say you no longer have the pathway to remember me as a researcher, you can still access remembering me because you remember I like big earrings. That's the idea behind cognitive reserve. It's building a dam in your brain so that you have other ways to compensate for any potential damage, which means that the effects of dementia don't show up as much as it would if you didn't have that cognitive reserve. And is there an ideal age to sort of start implementing lifestyle changes to reduce the risk of dementia? Or is this one of those things where it's never too late? Never, ever too late. Now, we should actually ideally start implementing this from 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 birth, honestly, right. from childhood, because so much of it, it relates to the way we eat and the way we exercise and move. Uh, but honestly, anytime, if you learned about this now and you're 75, you can still start implementing those changes. There is some research to show that if you start making those changes, even after the age of 40, uh, they can still have a, a really good impact in that overall trajectory. So make them as soon as you can. We're talking to Dr. Saskia Sivananthan. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we will be right back to discuss how dementia impacts women. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Okay, we're back with Dr. Saskia Sivananthan. Saskia, I just want to ask you, because I think the other thing that as I'm listening to you, you talk about, you know, the importance of sleep or, you know, how, uh, you know, sometimes we naturally forget things. But I think women listening to this, especially women who are menopausal, are sitting there going, wait a minute, I have brain fog all the time. It's impossible for me to get a full night's sleep. Uh, so how do we navigate this time of our life and differentiate what's normal, what's not? And is there something that should drive us right into a doctor's office to seek more help? Oh my gosh, that's an amazing question. Um, and I don't know that I can answer it fully, Candice, but I, I'll, I'll back up and, and talk about a couple of pieces. The first is that more women than men do develop dementia. Right now, when we're looking at the projections, it's about 61% um, of people who do develop dementia are women, and then of course the 40% are men. And we'll talk about the flip side, which is caregiving. And we know, again, women are much more likely to be the primary caregiver. And when you're a caregiver for someone with dementia, you're also carrying with you the mental health stress and the physical stress. And all of that also impacts your health. 
overall. And so some of those are pieces to talk about. But coming back to the question about if you're menopausal or premenopausal, these are some of the things that actually research has not done a very good job of understanding well. And this is why sex and gender research and that lens is so important when we talk about and start looking at dementia, because we know that hormones impact your risk of dementia, the clinical presentation of dementia, and that trajectory. Um, and there are some fantastic researchers who are doing a lot of work on that. Gillian Einstein is a Canadian researcher based at the University of Toronto, who's really looking at some of that, um, those specific questions. I would say that if you ever have any concern about memory loss, language loss, brain fog, to speak to your family physician, because they will help to differentiate between how much of that may be part of menopause and how much of that is dementia related. And if there are changes that you could make to be able to sleep better, um, because it, it's not just about the hours of sleep, it's the quality of sleep, right? We've talked, we, we know about that research as well. And so you might not be getting a good solid eight hours stretch, but if you're getting three to four of good high quality sleep, that's still important because that's when your brain is having a chance to reset, to really amalgamate and process what your day has gone through and to continue with its neuroplasticity. And obviously dementia doesn't just impact individuals and families, this has a huge impact on our society at large. So in terms of public health policy, what changes would you like to see to better address the challenge of dementia? Dementia is one of those diseases that it's promiscuous in the sense it cut, cuts across so many different boundaries. It's not a health disease alone, and we treat it like it's health only. But dementia it affects your ability to drive. It affects your ability to work. It affects your ability to interact with your community. So dementia really needs to be treated from a public health perspective. Um, I was the co-author of the, uh, the Global Action Plan on Dementia when I was working at the World Health Organization. And the reason we took that approach is because we wanted countries to understand that you can't treat it so narrowly just within the health sector. And some of the big public policy changes are changes that we actually have implemented fairly well for other diseases. So we can learn from those. I'll give you an example. Just even if we start on the prevention side of things, right? If we were to implement public policy that would support better, better physical activity, you could get a reduction or a subscription on your uh, gym membership so that it encourages people to be able to go to the gym. Or the community centers had programs that were free or more enabling of being able to make those changes. We all know the rising price of groceries. If we were able to look at ways to be able to support better benefits so that people are able to eat healthier, um, those are some of the more public policy changes. Uh, even uh, hearing aids, they're very expensive if you actually needed to go out and get one. Again, being able to um, negotiate better pricing on those. But the other sorts of pub public policy approaches for dementia is helping people age in place and be engaged in their community. And other countries have learned to do that in a much better way. But we haven't really taken that cultural approach here in Canada really well. So countries like Japan, um, you know, we hear about the Netherlands and, and uh, Finland, Sweden. These countries have really looked at dementia and said, okay, how do we enable people who are living with this disease to stay within the community? 
You could, they have separate grocery lines, for example, so that you can take your time. You can still go grocery shopping and you might forget and you might need some additional help to find the ingredients or the things on your grocery list. And that's okay. There's a slower line just for that. You know, um, even looking at the built environment, having the crosswalks uh, be more accessible and more time on, um, on how long it takes to cross. Uh, being able to have the bus drivers and the librarians trained on looking for symptoms or signs of dementia, and then how to respond and support the person. These are all changes that we can really make to enable people to be more engaged so that it really delays the, the need to be able to switch to long-term care, but also supports caregivers. We don't have a lot of good benefits for caregivers. Um, and Mainly women, again, who step away from full-time jobs, who might step away from uh, the sorts of promotions that they can't take on anymore because they have these responsibilities in home. So how do we support caregivers better as well? Saskia, your, your expertise and insights are so valuable. I, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I just, I wish we had a lot more time for this conversation. So we'll have to have you back. In the meantime, uh, where can people connect with you or find out more about what you're doing? Oh, well, you can find me on LinkedIn if you search my name, and um, you'll also see links to some of the articles I've written. But if people are, are looking for more information about Alzheimer's, dementia more broadly, I would recommend the Alzheimer's Society. Uh, they have lots of useful information, tips, and things to look for. And please connect with your family doctor if you have any questions about uh, or you're worried about your memory, because the earlier you are able to connect, the better you're able to get the support you need. All right. Thank you so much, Saskia. It was my pleasure. And have yourself a merry little Christmas night. Joining me now for the last Saturday Night at the Movies of 2023 is Anne Brody. And Anne, let's just jump right in because I would like to talk about poor things first because I am seeing and reading so much buzz about this film. Yeah, Emma Stone's going to be nominated. Uh, Yorgos Lanthos is going to be nominated, the director. Prob probably Willem Dafoe. Um, it's about a doctor in London, uh, maybe 1860s around there, who uh, finds a dead woman's body in the river. She's, she's jumped in um, and he reanimates her. Now get this, he reanimates her. He removes the living baby from her, takes its brain cells and puts it in the, the dead body of Emma Stone. And she comes to um, and she, she, she has these awkward movements. It's really bizarre to watch. And then she discovers sex and she becomes a total sex machine. Um, you know, it's kind of depraved in some ways, but she, it's not due to her moral sense. It's due to her freedom and her unfamiliarity with being human because she's not human. Um, uh, so it's a lot of, uh, it's hard to describe. It's really a visual treat. It's just stunning. The, uh, the settings and her costumes and her movements are incredible. She must have had a special kind of a movement 
coach to show this, you know, rattling, weird way of, of being dead, of being undead. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's quite different from his film, The Lobster. It's a lot darker. Uh, and Willem Dafoe is just out of this world. I mean, wow. So, you know, you have to choose if you want something that's going to be Oscar-y and very challenging or whether you want something light. <laughs> this ain't so it's it. not for me. Because <laughs> I want light and fluffy. If this is challenging, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll wait for that one to come out on, on, on TVOD. All right. Let's talk about um, Rojek. Oh, yes. This is Canada's entry to the Oscars for Best International Feature and Best Documentary. It is astounding. A Kurdish-Canadian woman goes to, oh, what is her name? Oh, Zane Akil. She goes to Syria, gets entree into a prison there, and interviews extremist ISIS, uh, Daesh um, fundamentalists who are warriors, and they're in there for, the, for torture, killing, all of this stuff. And she talks to them about the roots of their fundamentalism and why they live in this primitive mindset. Um, you know, they'll do things. In the culture, apparently, if someone is an adulterer, they, they are thrown off a fourth floor balcony. Uh, if they steal, their hand is chopped off. It, it's just weird. And anyway, so a lot of these soldiers say that, that male and female say that they were possessed by jinns, which are devils, and were very unhappy, but becoming extremist soldiers healed them. So it, it's just a totally bizarre way of thinking. Um, and it just is an astounding view into the mindset that, that, you know, the world is dealing with in 2023, going back to their primitive times. Um, it's she also follows this group of feminist soldiers in Syria fighting against them, and they're amazing. And then she discovers, once the film is finished, that only one survives. Uh, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different wow. world. All right. So that's a heavy documentary. Is it in, in theaters? Uh, theaters, Crave, and TVOD. It's heavy, but it's kind of essential. All right. Excellent. Uh, here's the one that I think we both agree is going to be a total winner. American fiction. Yes, sir. Oh my God. It's got my favorite in it. Jeffrey Wright. He plays an author, very intellectual guy and a, and a professor whose books just don't sell. So a woman comes up, um, another professor, and she writes in the street patois about the black experience in America and her book goes through the roof. So he thinks I can do that. So he come, he holds himself away and anonymously writes this book that he calls F Word. It sells like hotcakes, but he can't stand it because it totally goes against his view of himself as, as intellectually superior and using the King's English and whatnot. Um, so he's got to keep it under wraps. It's so funny. Uh, and such a twist at the end. You just won't believe it. But Jeffrey Wright, we've discussed him. He's a very subtle, smart actor. And he just slays every role that he's in. And he slays this one. And he gets to be a bit funny, too. 
funny and in, in an ironic way. So now that is in theaters. Oh, and Sterling K. Brown from TV, he will likely get a Best Supporting Actor nomination. And Jeffrey Wright will get a Best Actor nomination. So. All right. One, and so, sorry, that one is in theaters, right? In theaters, yes. All right. Excellent. Did I see uh, Tracy Ellis Ross in there? She is. She's got a small role, but she very small role. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> She's always fun to see, too. All right, Anne. Uh, so you've got these and a lot more over on the website. Plus, uh, we don't have a show next week, but you will have a column up with uh, new entertainment. I, I will definitely have that. All right. Thank you for joining me today, Anne. Christmas. You too. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. it's not the weather being frightful that scares us. It's the stress of the holiday season and our never-ending to-do list that really keeps us awake at night, quite literally. Thankfully, Andrea Donsky is joining me today on behalf of New Roots Herbal with some real solutions to reduce our stress, and we're not going to waste any time getting into it. Andrea, welcome back to what she said. Thank you for having me. I love being here. So let's start with some simple changes we can make to our daily routines right now to sort of ease that holiday pressure. I think the biggest takeaways are a few things. Number one, being organized, right? Because I find that when I'm organized and I write it down and I see what I need to do, and and that's another thing is writing things down. We're like, okay, it makes it less daunting. So it's in front of us. We're able to like take notes. I'm like, okay, cross it off our list. (laughs) It's nice when we actually put the lines through it. Um, you know, so for me, that's one organization and then also setting boundaries, learning how to say no, because as women, we tend to want to do a lot. I mean, I'll talk for myself. I tend to want to do a lot and help everybody. But at the end of the day, we really need to set boundaries and say yes to things we can do and say no to things that we just don't have time to do. And I think that's an important message for all of us, especially as we're going into this time of year. It really is. Because again, I say, I've, I feel like a broken record, uh, what saying this, but you know, we have our, we still carry all of our everyday regular stresses with us into December, yeah. but then we pile on everything else because as women, we tend to want to run around and make the season magical. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. those boundaries are super important. Uh, so let's talk about sort of maybe, I find meditation very helpful. It always brings me right back into the moment, but do you have a relaxation trick or mindfulness technique that you use? Yeah. So something I do. So my daughter, she's 12 and she's on a, she plays rep basketball. And one of the things that I started doing for them, because the kids were super nervous before they would go out and play. And we started doing breathing techniques. So one of the things that I saw that has amazing research on it, and I do this myself and just, I guess, just to start is just remember to breathe because so many of us are not breathing. We breathe shallow, right? So just remembering to breathe where you're sticking your stomach out when you're breathing in and your stomach in when you're breathing out. So one of the techniques that I love that I'm using on the, on these kids, and it works so well because when we do it, they start yawning. So I'm like, yep, there we go. That's stimulating the parasympathetic part of our nervous system, which helps us to relax. So we can do it together even. So you take it, you take two breaths in. So you go through your nose, two breaths in, then take a third breath in and then out for six. And then do that a few times and just doing it through your nose. So in one more time 
and then out for six and count it out in your head. And then you'll see your body's going to start to relax, your shoulders go down, and you just kind of, you feel that sympathetic being stimulated and that just helps you to like, okay. The other thing you could do too, and I just recently did a City Line segment on this, where you could take some essential oils, put it on your fingers, two fingers, and then rub them behind your ear and go in circular motions up your ear and down your neck. And again, that's going to help to stimulate your nerve endings. It's also going to stimulate the parasympathetic part of your nervous system, rub them together, breathe them in. Essential oils have terpenes that also can help us to relax. Oh, I love that. Honestly, I do a restorative yoga class every week and the instructor walks around at the end of the class and she does that over us while we're lying there in our in our corpse pose. She does like essential oils over us as we're lying. It's, it is so relaxing. It's beautiful. Um, here's the big one though. It's sleep. This is, I think, something either we're, we're you know, burning the candle at both ends or we're so stressed out we can't sleep. So what are some tips there? Okay. So this is my, one of my favorite things to talk about. I actually have sleep technology. So I'm obsessed with sleep, especially for women, older women over 40, over 35, over 40. So something that I'm a very big fan of is having a sleep routine, is making sure that every day I'm making sleep a priority because for many of us, and even me included, I did not make sleep a priority for so long. And now I'm like, okay, I need to be in bed between 10 and 11. And it's become this, this nightly thing that if I'm not in bed by 10 or 11, I'm like, okay, it's I know it's going to mess up my sleep score. So going to bed before 11 is important. Why? Because we get more deep sleep the earlier we go to bed. Deep sleep is the restorative sleep. So really important in making it a priority. Making sure your room is cooled, 65 to 68 degrees. Because if, if your room's hot, you're going to be hot and it's going to wake you up. The other thing you want to do is make sure your room is dark. When it's dark, our body can release melatonin. Now, the older we get, the less melatonin our body produces. Actually, there was this doctor who came up with the term melatonopause because when we're in our 50s, our bodies aren't really not making melatonin the way it did when we were younger. And in some cases, we're not making it at all. So really making sure that eight, you're, you're, if you're going to go to bed and you're still on the younger side and your body's making or producing that endogenous melatonin, you can make, wear blue blocking glasses so you don't have technology on because the blue light will actually stop that production. But then also you could take something like melatonin. I'm a big fan of taking melatonin as we age because melatonin helps us to fall asleep and stay asleep. And is there a certain time of the day you should take melatonin then? Is that like an evening thing? Yeah. So it's a great question. So if you want it to help you sleep, then you take it before bed, 30 minutes, 40 minutes before bed. Okay. Can we talk about adaptogens for a couple of minutes? I hear a lot about that right now. Do they help with stress levels? So adaptogens are, they're, they're, or known as adaptogenic herbs, help our body cope better with stress. So they're a great band-aid when you're stressed. So adaptogens include like Telsey or holy basil. That's probably my favorite, one of my favorite adaptogens. It helps, it's, first, it's so high in antioxidants. And it also helps our body cope better with stress, but also it's great for immune system. So you want to look for if you're going to get holy basil, you can get it in a tea, by the way, but you can also get it as a supplement. You want to look for one that has 10% ursolic acid, which is actually the what gives it its benefit. So you want to look for the types. So when you're going to buy it as a supplement, you want to make sure you're buying the right one. Uh, the other adaptogens, I love functional mushrooms. I'm a big fan of, of mushrooms. You've probably heard chaga, reishi, all of those are amazing because again, they help to support our immune system. And then I also like um, ashwagandha. Some people love it. Some people can't take it because it's a nightshade. So really you have to listen to your body. Um, but you want to look for one that has 5% with thonolides. That's actually um, the, again, the ingredient that helps it, uh, helps our body and makes it so good. Okay. So we're going to combine these supplements with some lifestyle changes like boundaries and, and getting sleep. 
how do we make sure this all works together for us? Um, you know, is time of day matter? Uh, just taking it with food matter? Anything you have to offer on this in this regard? Yeah. So again, taking it with food or not, that's that is dependent on the supplement you're taking. So you always want to make sure you read the label, read the bottle, so that you are taking it properly, time of day, how much to take, and as well as do you take it with or without food, empty stomach or not. Um, the key is consistency. The key is really it's it's making every so focusing. I always say my lane is nutrition, lifestyle, and supplements. So it's not just one thing. It really is a synergistic blend of things that work together synergistically to make it work so well. So that's kind of my mantra is just look at things not in a silo, but rather as a synergistic blend and being consistent. That's the key too, right? So if you're going to take a supplement, you take it once, you can't, you know, you, you have to do it on a regular basis because in Canada, in order for companies to get NPNs, which are natural product numbers, they actually base it on research. And the research is based on taking it in specific doses and specific amount. So you really, again, want to follow the, the recommendations on the label in terms of how to take it, especially when it comes to supplements. You bring up an interesting point, actually, too, because I think what happens is, you know, we, we hit December, we're really stressed, we're starting to look for solutions. This really is a long-term game, right? Something we should be sort of focusing on year-round? A hundred, absolutely, all the time. It's not just for this time of the year, it's for all the time, right? This should be part of our daily routine, our daily way of doing things. So yes, great point. And you've, you've mentioned a lot of really specific ingredients today. Uh, so, you know, that reduce stress levels, but, you know, we, this is obviously sponsored by New Roots Herbal, and you recently had an opportunity to go to their factory. I am going soon as well for a tour, but tell me what you found out when you were there. Oh, I loved it. First of all, it was awesome. Um, yes, I work with them and I think they're an amazing company. Peter, their owner, the, the, the man who, who created it all is really particular about quality and science, which is what I really love about them too. I had a tour of their, their lab, which was incredible. I mean, everything they do is tested. Everything they do is based on research, which I really love as well. And it's all about quality. So you could trust them. So for me, I'm very big on making sure you know who's, the, who are, who's behind the brand, right? Can you have access to the people behind the brand? And I've had access to them and I understand the way they work and I understand what their values are. And yeah, I'm a big fan. All right. Excellent. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, any last words for anybody as we close out this interview? Happy holidays. And I hope you have a stress-free or less stressful holidays. So, And happy new year as well. All right. Thank you, Andrea. We'll have you back soon. Epilepsy is a condition that affects approximately 1 in 100 Canadians, significantly impacting quality of life, particularly for children. Navigating the challenges of this neurological disorder in daily activities, especially in school, can be daunting. In this next interview, I'm joined by Monica Diaz-Greco, a passionate advocate and mother who played a pivotal role in the passing of Motion 68 in the Ontario Legislature. This vital motion calls for comprehensive epilepsy policies in schools, ensuring staff are trained to administer emergency epilepsy medication. Monica's advocacy efforts are a shining example of creating a safer and more inclusive environment for students living with epilepsy. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for this opportunity. Really appreciate it. Your dedication is remarkable. So could you please share with us uh, 
you know, the context of you do getting involved with this uh, in relation to your daughter's experience, Emma? So uh, Emma was diagnosed with a rare form of epilepsy um, at seven months of age, and it's called infantile spasms. And really, we had never heard of it. And uh, my husband and I took us a, quite a bit of time to navigate what this meant for her, what this meant for us, and what it meant for our family. We really weren't prepared. We had no idea of what infantile spasms was. So um, in 2018, when Emma was four years old, we had decided to establish Emma Is, um, and it was a way to create awareness for what infantile spasms is. And and then as she developed epilepsy, we really started to look at that as well. And really the opportunities just seemed to present itself. So with Motion 68, we were responding to a situation that had occurred and um, it just seemed to happen. So um, I'll get it. I guess I'll get into a little bit more with that. Um, Emma was in um, uh, last year. She was in grade three. Uh, the day before a trip, she, we were informed that the staff was not comfortable with the possibility of administering emergency medications to Emma on the trip. And so being the night before, expectations are she's going to go. Um, it really called really highlighted the fact that if there was discomfort on a trip, there was always going to be discomfort because the medication wasn't changing. So at that point, we realized that uh, there are other laws in place um, in our schools. And so we needed something in place for children with epilepsy to be protected. And so they can be included in all aspects of the educational experience. So can you explain then what the motion entails and how it will impact students with epilepsy in Ontario schools? Sure. So currently, uh, PPM 161 by the Ministry of Education covers four prevalent medical conditions, diabetes, asthma, um, epilepsy, and anaphylaxis. Uh, Two of them are covered by a law. So staff members are actually trained on the administration of the EpiPen, for example, and uh, students are allowed to keep the EpiPen on them um, in a case of an emergency. So if there is an epileptic um, emergency, children don't carry the medication on them. It's kept in the office. So um, someone would require be required to either go to the office to get it, to give it to the student, or someone from the office would have to come. Depending on what kind of day it is, we know schools are very, very busy. Um, really, um, you know, we don't want to waste any time. And so what this does is uh, trains all staff on the administration of epilepsy medications. Um, so and to recognize the signs of what uh, when it would be required in a similar way as an EpiPen. And the students would be able to carry it like in a fanny pack on their person to uh, cut down on the time of getting those medications to the person. So can you tell me more then about the role of organizations like Epilepsy Ontario and Epilepsy Toronto in supporting you and this initiative? So yeah, we're a small organization. So uh, we've benefited a lot from Epilepsy Toronto, a lot of uh, services. have been administered through them. We have a great partnership with them. And so uh, as a larger organization, they were able to uh, connect with people that we weren't necessarily able to. And same with Ontario, Epilepsy Ontario looks at all of Ontario. So with our partnership with both of them, we were able to um, reach an MPP and 
facilitate this motion and ensure um, that our children are protected. Well, it's always nice to see somebody succeed in their efforts uh, to get the government to take action. So congratulations. This is wonderful. Do you have a message for parents of children with epilepsy, uh, you know, and what steps can they take to advocate for their own children in, in, say, their local school? So uh, advice that I would give is epilepsy is just part of a part of who they are, but it's not all of who they are. And children in school should be allowed to participate in absolutely all aspects of the program. Um, All aspects of the program should be inclusive. Um, And if your child is encouraged not to participate, then you need to question it. You you need to ask questions and you need to um, advocate at that point and speak up because children should be allowed to participate in all aspects of the program. All right, wonderful. Well, I suspect you're not going to stop advocating for kids with epilepsy, Monica, and you do have a website and social channels. So where can people connect with you to find out more? Sure. Uh, Our website is emmaiz.ca and you can find us on Instagram at emmaiz underscore ca as well. All right, wonderful. Uh, I will put that all up on the website when this interview goes live. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much again, Candice. I really appreciate the opportunity. with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. As we wrap up the final show of 2023, I can't help but reflect on the joy that Christmas, and more specifically, Christmas music, brings to my home. From November 12th right through to December 25th, my house is filled with the sounds of the season creating a festive atmosphere that's hard to beat. Today, we're closing out the year with a special treat. Joining me now is the incredibly talented Barbara Lika, a singer-songwriter whose passion for Christmas is as infectious as her music. Barbara's new single on Christmas Eve captures the magical anticipation of December 24th, a night filled with wonder and excitement. Let's dive into a conversation with Barbara and learn more about her festive new song that's sure to become a holiday favorite in your house. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Your new single on Christmas Eve beautifully captures the excitement of Christmas Eve. Can you share with us what inspired you to write this song and how your own Christmas traditions influenced its creation? Well, me and um, me and my brother, we were a little bit of a a nightmare growing up with the poster children for immediate gratification. So we we just could not we could not wait for Christmas. And or really little, we would we would move it. We would say, okay, it'd be right at midnight. Right at midnight, it's technically Christmas. We we got to do it, but nobody wanted to stay up till midnight. So it started being eleven p.m., ten p.m., nine p.m. And then eventually, my whole family just started celebrating Christmas on Christmas Eve. So that's what we do every year of my life. I still do it now. Um, made dating really easy because I could go to the other person's family on Christmas Day. It just wasn't even a holiday for me. And I understand that um, On Christmas Eve was produced and performed in a really unique way with much of it coming in a basement studio. So can you tell us more about the creative process behind the song and how you, and I cannot say his last name, Nicholas? Nicholas Tateshi. Thank you. So he's a, he's a, 
uh, Torontonian, I guess now Mississauguan, uh, guitarist and producer. And over the pandemic, he built a whole uh, bizarre sort of studio space in his basement. So we just went in there and taking turns playing things. I was playing keyboards. He was playing guitar and bass. And then we were programming things. We did the whole thing basically in his basement. It's it's such a beautiful song. So we're about to play the whole thing. And is there something that you, a message or a feeling you hope listeners take away from on Christmas Eve? Yeah, I mean, especially now that I'm a new mom and I and I see my kid and I see the whole cycle going around and he's going to be having Christmas again. I just I just want everybody to sort of go back to that feeling of being a kid and waiting to unwrap the presents and waiting for Christmas. So yeah, just that joy, that joy of being a kid that some of us lose, I think, along the way. Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you, Barbara, for sharing your insights and bringing us I what I think is a really wonderful new addition to our holiday playlist. So as we say goodbye to 2023, let's enjoy the full magic of On Christmas Eve by Barbara Licka. From all of us here at What She Said, we wish you a joyful holiday season and look forward to reconnecting with you in the new year. Happy holidays, everyone. Can you feel it in the air tonight? In a room aglow with firelight. All the children trying to fall asleep. Counting little reindeer instead of counting sheep. Every single year it's just like this Even when you're all grown up You still feel like a kid There's a beautiful, fantastic Certain kind of magic That makes you want to believe And it only ever happens On Christmas Eve See the neighborhood all wrapped in snow Hear the carols on the radio Presents underneath the Christmas tree Tied with pretty ribbons waiting oh so patiently Every single star can feel it too Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.